Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. You can subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast, at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite download service, and never miss the great content we offer. Hello, and welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Jacqueline Witt, Professor of Strategy and the War Room podcast editor here at the U.S. Army War College. Thanks for joining us today. So on the docket today, we have the problem of mines and the explosive remnants of war, or ERW, and a discussion about how the United States and its Department of Defense approaches the task of humanitarian mine action, or HMA. So mines, ERW, and ammunition stockpiles represent past, present, and future dangers when we talk about war and its effects. According to the Landmine and Cluster Munition Monitor, in 2017 alone, the Monitor recorded 7,239 casualties by landmines or ERW in 49 different countries, in which 2,793 were killed, 4,431 people were injured, and for 15, the survival status is unknown and about 87% of those casualties were civilians. So we want to talk about the relationship between mine action, U.S. national security, and international security. And so today we have three guests. First is Lieutenant Colonel Sean Cadlick, who is an officer in the U.S. Army and an EOD, or Explosive Ordnance Disposal Specialist. Hello, Jackie. All right, and next we have Colonel Jared Harper, who is a faculty member in the Department of Distance Education and who teaches an elective here at the War College on building partner capacity and specializes in security force assistance. Hi, Jackie. And finally, we have Professor Rick Copeland, who is a professor of economic development at the Peacekeeping and Stability Operations Institute here at the War College, and he focuses on facilitating multilateral collaboration to support economic stabilization and infrastructure development in post-conflict and fragile states. Good morning, Jackie, and thanks for your efforts putting all this together today. Yeah, happy to do it. So thanks so much for joining me here on War Room. Um, So, Sean, I'm going to ask you the first question, and we often start with a sort of definition. And so I'd like for you to tell us a little bit more in basic terms about what is humanitarian mine action and what kind of work it involves. Sure, Jackie. So humanitarian mine action uh, is often uh, commonly known as demining. Um, so it is uh, the, the immediate task that often comes to mind for people is the physical removal of mines and other explosive hazards from the ground. Uh, but mine action also entails uh, emergency medical care uh, and long-term medical care for victims, mine risk education, so informing the, the public of the hazards and who to report those to and how to uh, stay safe from the hazard, physical security and stockpile management, uh, is the the safe storage and disposal of, of unused munitions. Uh, and then uh, finally, the, the fifth element is, is uh, landmine ban advocacy. So the Department of Defense does the first four um, for, for uh, political and military reasons. The U.S. government does not actively participate mm-hmm. in the landmine uh, ban advocacy. So I think one of the things that that list helps me understand is that Mines have effects that are much larger than the casualty figures that I sort of mentioned in the introduction. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about why mines and uh, ERW are a, are a problem for national security and international security professionals. 
Yeah, absolutely, Jackie. So you uh, you hit the statistics on the casualties in the intro, uh, and those statistics are those casualties are obviously uh, tragic enough in and of themselves. Uh, but what those statistics don't represent uh, is those uh, the the deaths and the injuries um, also represent uh, significant economic uh, losses and lost opportunities um, for the victims and the families educational opportunities for children uh, who often have to drop out of school to go work and support families uh, and then just the long-term medical care uh, required for for injured victims uh, places great financial strains on the families over the you know the remainder of their lives um, and the uh, the governments as well yeah. I would just also add and Sean you captured this very well in your SRP which is a big part of this effort and kudos, I'm, I'm sitting here, quite frankly, as the proud teacher who, uh, you know, helped, and I do use the word helped, Sean, with his excellent work, uh, obviously based on his experience and his expertise. But I, I do know in your SRP, you captured the idea of not only, and you just will explain some of the other implications, but also the mental health. You captured that as well, the mental health implications, and quite frankly, just the fear. So it sounds like we have a broad range of effects that mines have on populations uh, really all over all over the world. And these things can last for a century or more, right? We still hear every once in a while of unexploded ordnance from the First World War, from the Second World War, uh, even even in Europe that are that are still um, being found and still being disposed of. Sean, when we talk about the DOD, and you, and you said that DOD is involved in sort of four of the five um, areas of mine action. Can you tell us a little bit more about what those missions uh, for DOD personnel might look like? Yeah, so my personal experience uh, as, as battalion commander, uh, we were training military forces in Vietnam and Sri Lanka uh, to, to conduct mine action, uh, really focused on the land clearance aspect of it. Uh, we also taught emergency medical care, so kind of combat lifesaver uh, type skills for, uh, for landmine victims. Uh, we had plans to conduct mine risk or to incorporate mine risk education in the out years um, for Vietnam, but I changed command before we got there. But uh, those are, are three of the typical areas that we'll, we'll participate in. And then the fourth one with, uh, with physical security and stockpile management. Uh, is just conducting surveys in uh, in partner nations and identifying areas where we can improve the uh, or they can we can help them improve the security mm -hmm. of how they're storing their ammunition and store it a little bit safer. Okay, so Jared, could you help us understand sort of how this type of mission might fit in with broader American goals with relation? to allies and, and partners around the world, and this phrase that we like to use about building partner capacity? Sure. So what we would term this is security cooperation, but within the, the larger kind of bucket of, of efforts, this would, we would term this as building partner capacity, where, which is a, a kind of catch-all term which can refer to many different things, but whether you're building capacity of you know, a government, of its, you know, of its military in particular, of its, you know, educational system or its infrastructure, all those can be loosely wrapped into building partner capacity. Um, but I think this is a great uh, example of security cooperation where we are assisting others. We're training them to operate not only in their own country, but in some cases to go out in United Nations operations to assist others. And then through the crea creation of these mine action centers, we're creating force multipliers where those countries then will train others. And it's in alignment with our interests and their interests and is a very effective and, 
and pretty cost-effective solution. Mm -hmm. So I think this brings me to another major point, which is why is humanitarian mine action sort of important for U.S. national security? Um, I imagine that in the grand scheme of things, the money we spend on humanitarian mine action is is teeny tiny. Um, so what do we what do we get in return for this effort? So absolutely, Jackie, the uh, the investment is is very small. So the the total mine action budget for uh, the U.S. in 2017 was 3.2 billion dollars. Uh, so I'm not a mathematician, but that's roughly a half percent of of the defense budget for the year, um, and uh, so, very small investment that supports the national security strategy, I think, in three ways. The first one is, is uh, developing those partner nation military capabilities, as, uh, as Jared alluded to. One of the goals of, of the security strategy is, is our partners and allies sharing, shouldering more of that security burden, and this is one way to do that. The second aspect of the security strategy that's supported is economic development of our partners and allies. So, by removing those hazards from the ground, the opportunities there to, to develop the infrastructure and build up partner nation economies. And then the third aspect of it is support to human rights. The, uh, the removal of those explosive hazards creates safer communities, safer living conditions, and safer work environments for people to, to live peacefully. Mm-hmm. Rick, from your sort of point of view over at, at the Peacekeeping and Stability Operations Institute, can you tell us a little bit more about how humanitarian mine action and related sort of projects fits into a broader understanding of how the United States operates in a multilateral, multinational mm-hmm. environment with the United Nations, with the with NGOs and other people who are concerned about well, this? Thanks, Jackie. Excellent question. And I think part of what I take from your question that's important that you just highlighted and Sean did very well in his paper and his work is to highlight the multilateral collaboration piece of this and the cross-sector collaborative piece of this. So I think Sean did a great job just now of answering the question of, you know, the things that are really directly tied to the national security strategy and what's in the interest of the United States. But I would also just highlight, among other things, there's the signaling effect there that, hey, we are the American people, we're the American government, we're the American military, we're the American USAID, and and maybe some NGOs mixed in there as well, and we're here to help, not only in all the things that Sean mentioned, but, but clearly it's very helpful for relationship building. And then obviously going to UN peacekeeping missions. I mean, it's clearly... Peacekeeping is an important part of that is mine removal and mine control and mine as an M-I-N-E, not mine. No (laughs) psychics or ESP happening. Uh, But undoubtedly, that's an important part of peacekeeping and stabilization operations activities. And undoubtedly, for the long term, as you appropriately highlighted in the introduction, it's not just past and present, but it's the future and the hope of the people that they see yes Someone's come in here and they're helping us. They're clearing the mines from the fields. We can do more agriculture. They're clearing the roads. They're clearing, you know, and ensuring our bridges are safe and all those fundamental things. Just, you know, think about it in terms of really basic agriculture from seed to shelf and every step along the way. And we're helping for folks to do that more effectively. Yeah, one of the things when we think about the history of the United Nations, mine action has been, I think, one of its most robust and in many ways successful Programs and here's an example where we see the the DoD, with the exception of the of the um, mine ban sort of advocacy, really fully in support of United Nations programs, even if they're not operating under the auspices 
of the of the United Nations. So we see this as a as a way that the U.S. is participating in mm-hmm. this broader um, sort of system of, of structures and institutions mm-hmm. that are that are aiming at a common um, at a at a common goal. And Jared, this is something that you had mentioned as well that the U.S. is you know training people who then may go work under the auspices of the United Nations or, or elsewhere. Right. And I'd say that there's a lot of spinoff effects when you're not just working, you know, partic- just to clear the minds. You're building relationships with these security forces. You're, you're helping them to professionalize. You're, you're gaining the ability to help, you know, multiple aspects throughout the military so that they can be more effective, that we can build relationships and partner with them in other ways as well, that not particularly dealing with minds, but in other, in mm-hmm. other options down the road. It sounds, again, like this is a a sort of narrow topic that as soon as you start digging in opens up all sorts of pathways and and avenues. Sean, you you talked a little bit about your own experience, and I assume that your personal experiences are are in part how you got interested in the the topic. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about that and then why you think it's a really important question for American national security professionals to be aware of? Yeah, so my personal interest, uh, you know, stems from from being an EOD officer, and again, my experience uh, conducting HMA in, in Southeast Asia. Um, I also under uh, majored in economics as an undergrad, so uh, my SRP was was an opportunity to bring bring two interests together uh, and and find that overlap. The the aspect of of importance to security professionals uh, outside of the EOD community. Uh, I think we've we've kind of touched on it uh, in various aspects of this. Um, it is a uh, uh, a relationship building tool. Um, it is a very easy uh, quote unquote in um, or access to various countries that might not otherwise be uh, be willing to host U.S. forces. So when uh, when a mine action training team goes into a partner nation, it's you know, it's almost very similar to special forces training. So it's a very small tailored unit as opposed to a infantry battalion or hundreds of soldiers showing up with so it's tanks. A, it's and a lighter footprint. It's a much lighter footprint and, uh, you know, much more under the radar. So partner nations are, mm-hmm. are much more willing to accept U.S. presence. And something where a, where a common goal bilaterally or internationally sort of narrowly construed can maybe again sort of open up other other venues for cooperation. Jared, for, for you, why is this an important uh, question? Or has, has Sean sort of covered all of the reasons we should care about this? My interest is how do we make countries, militaries better? Uh, and this is, you know, you, you think of, you know, the small footprint, but really that's a ripple effect that they're, they're it's, it's, a, it's a critical um, effort for these countries in a lot of cases. They're very interested in that. So it's, it's a really crucial effort, low cost, and that can really help produce greater effectiveness down the road. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so you could imagine greater effectiveness, professionalization, all sorts of things that come along with training and practice in these international environments. Rick, what about you? So I'll just add, and, and again, reinforcing what Sean is saying, and Jared as well, 
that clearly this is a focus on the economic development piece of the countries that we're trying to assist. And one of the core guiding principles that we always think about and use in our classes, and in fact, I want to highlight that uh, in terms of how I came to this, I obviously knew something about uh, humanitarian mine action, but Sean dramatically escalated my awareness of this topic. And in fact, he's in my course that we're going to have a, another session of this afternoon, and Sean's going to be presenting on this topic to his fellow class. Classmates. So, in other words, I immediately realized, and Sean came over and said, and we had a conversation in the context of he's looking for an SRP advisor, and I quickly realized, hey, this is a sharp guy, important topic, let's let's go for it, and it's blossomed, in my opinion, number one, into a great SRP paper, number two, and he's going to be in my class literally this afternoon talking to distance and residence students about mm -hmm. this topic, and it, it is important because undoubtedly there's not a lot of money thrown at it but part of part of Sean's you know insight into this is hey how do we also collaborate with others to get to use quite frankly other people's money mm -hmm. which is a really if you can if you can manage that that's the that's the best of all possible yeah. worlds right yeah. so important I skill <laughs> yeah and again we have national concerns international concerns um, as we sort of think about wrapping up the conversation let's think not only about sort of past, present, and future of mine action, but maybe the short, medium, and long-term effects that DOD uh, is hoping to have uh, with its HMA effort. So, Sean, we'll, we'll start with you again. Um, can you walk us through these sort of short, medium, and long-term goals? Absolutely. And so I think the back to the previous question, if I may, the one, the one thing that I think I would like to add is – from a national security policy or national security strategy throughout the, the year, we obviously learned about the, uh, the four instruments of national power, uh, diplomacy, information, military, mm -hmm. and economic. Uh, and mine action is, is one way for the DOD to really support the, uh, the other three instruments of national power rather than it being the yeah. other way around. And we can see how the military and military forces can be used without the application of military force, right? That this is a really important um, piece to be able to pull on to identify the military elements or aspects of a, of a problem and to think broadly about how the military might be involved in something that's not just kicking down doors and killing bad guys. Exactly. And so that segues very nicely to the, to the short, medium, and long-term uh, effects of, of mine action. So in the short term, uh, it's land clearance and the immediate life-saving uh, that that results from that and uh, and the immediate economic opportunity, especially in the agricultural sector, as Rick mentioned, uh, and the the application to, uh, across the instruments of national power, uh, that is a very powerful story uh, that that we could be telling and should be telling the world. Uh, the you know that that immediate impact that we're having on on uh, local communities, uh, the midterm effects, uh, as as Jared alluded to. The one that immediately comes to mind is the mine action centers that, that get developed over time. Uh, so Thailand and Cambodia both have internationally recognized mine action centers that countries from throughout Southeast Asia go to to train and then get employed on, on U, both back in their, their native countries and then on UN peacekeeping missions. Uh, and the long-term impacts, um, you know, the, the save lives, obviously, the, uh, the reduction in injuries, uh, but it is that land clearance that, that really enables infrastructure development across a multitude of sectors. So everything from building roads, 
building schools, hospitals, businesses, you name it, it really starts mm-hmm. with, uh, with that land clearance and those short-term effects and building out from there. Yeah, so Rick, I see you've got the uh, sustainable development goals uh, sort of, I guess, tiles in, in front of you. Can you talk to us a little <laughs> bit about how those uh, work and what humanitarian mine action does yeah, in that, that regard? Thanks, Jackie. I, I would like to do that, but I want to do it in a way that obviously sets Sean up here to describe this in greater detail. Part of my answer to your question is, among other things, what's in this for the United States and our interest? Is it we're perceived to be good international citizens? And all these things that we've been describing in terms of economic development and military capacity development, but also in terms of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And if I just look at a couple, I mean, there's so many of them here that humanitarian mine action obviously supports to include, number one, no poverty, number three, good, good health and well-being, uh, number five, gender equality, number eight, decent work and economic growth. And, and I could just keep going through the list, but you get the idea that undoubtedly these are sustainable development goals that the United Nations and the international community has developed and supports. And undoubtedly, this is one of many ways that the United States of America supports that. And I think, I think effectively. And if you think about it, you know, the U.S., just to tie it back to the U.S., you know, we have a multitude of interests and priorities around the world. We only have a limited amount of resources. So if we can help others to help themselves or even better to go out and help yet other countries, it's a very cost effective and useful solution. So lots of uh, bang for the buck if we can use a perhaps slightly odd pun for a a discussion about about mines. Uh, So, gentlemen, thanks so much for joining me here today. This has been a really great conversation. And uh, Sean, good luck as you as you graduate. And Rick and Jared, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu and have a great day.